Hey there, thanks for listening to our big time talker podcast. We're on the Blog Talk Radio Network, live and nationwide. Thanks to our pals at speakermatch.com, the sponsors of this here program. And if you are a speaker or you're a meeting planner, visit speakermatch.com's virtual marketplace and get yourself together. Whether it's an online presentation or an in-person presentation when things get back to normal, Speaker Match is your virtual meeting place. Our guest today is a, a face that you may have seen in movies or television, but more importantly to me, he's my buddy. And we've never had the opportunity to really talk about the ins and outs of how he does what he does. He's actor Clint James. You may have seen him in the great movie Nine Nine that's all over Netflix right now. Uh, the Magnificent Seven, Chicago Med, uh, and many, many other things. He is one of those faces you you see, but you may not necessarily know the name. And Clint joins us from somewhere in the great Midwest where he has decamped uh, to ride out the end of the pandemic. Hey, buddy. Hello. How are you, sir? So you and I, as I said, have, have been pals, but we've never really talked about how you do what you do. So to rewind... Do I have the story correct? I read online that that you were an Air Force guy, but you actually stepped away from the Air Force to become an actor. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, an interesting call for that. Um, I was uh, Air Force for almost nine years, about eight and a half years, and um, it was right at the uh, Afghan war. So it was Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, I was on stop loss, and um, so they had me over, and I was – stationed over in Turkey and we were supporting the guys over in uh, Afghan and uh, I was in uh, SATCOM radio communications and uh, so I was on stop loss and um, when they let up I went ahead and, and left so I, I felt bad about it because I had my brothers and sisters still in you know and, and the war was just beginning and um, um, but uh, I served my time I did my did my duty uh, honorable discharge and uh, moved on. So after that, I went ahead and I knew where I was going and what I wanted to do. And here I am 18 years later in uh, Republic, Missouri, you know, writing out this uh, pandemic. So, yeah. So when you were a kid, did you grow up thinking, I want to be in the military? I want to serve the country. Did you grow up thinking, I want to be an actor? Take me back. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, my dad, um, I, I really pay tribute to that, uh, to him for, for what he did because he, he had this eight millimeter camera and, um, and he would film all the home movies and, and all that. And he would edit and splice and, and, uh, and so we'd set up, he'd set up the projector and we'd watch it, but I'd watch him how he did it. And then he showed me how to edit the film and how to splice and put it together. And I was just, a, you know, five years old, six years old, you know, looking at this stuff and, and we'd watch the movies and we'd go back to it. And then, of course, there was no sound to it or nothing like that. And then the camera broke down and I got really interested. And it's like, well, how do you fix this? How do you, how do, you do this? And so I got really interested in that. And so I actually fixed the camera to where I was able to shoot some stuff or whatever. And uh, did I make any small movies? No, I didn't. But, um, but it was really interesting to me. It was really interesting. Like I just kind of followed my dad's lead in that. And then, of course, you know, school plays and, this and that or whatever. And then I remember watching uh, Johnny Carson with my dad and I can't remember what actor it was, but we just finished watching a movie and it was, uh, and I'm, I'm looking and the guy had blonde hair and in the movie he had, you know, black hair. And I was like, well, how did he change it that quick? 
that doesn't make any sense to me because he's, you know, that's just right away. And uh, my dad explained to him, you know, he said, oh, this is all, you know, recorded and, and you know, they do all their, their stuff. And this movie was done a long time ago. And I was like, oh, so I just slowly got intrigued with it. And then, you know, being a class clown and all that stuff. And so, yeah, so it just kind of kind of melted in there. And, and uh, I knew back in, you know, in, in my own mind, you know, I, I wanted to somehow entertain. And I just felt like, you know, just getting out of my own skin and, and creating characters and, and all that stuff. And I never really verbally said anything to anyone because a lot of times, you know, as a kid, you know, I was bullied a lot, you know, when I was younger and, and you don't want to voice, you know, what you want to do. So it's kind of like a hidden secret really to me. And, and uh, even in the military, you know, a lot of people are, um, and I understand this, you know, you're set, you have an ongoing paycheck and, and, you know, you're, you can sustain, whatever is going on, you know, in your life. And, and, uh, and, uh, it was more like just, I'm going to go for it. And then I just voiced it. So a month after I got a military, I had an agent and did some print work for target and, uh, a little hair commercial and then, uh, took off and was, uh, jumped in a 76 Camaro with my little dog Friday who was a Yorkshire terrier. And we went across the United States and I stopped out to see a buddy in Tucson. Next thing you know, I'm in Mexico. And, uh, and I kind of stayed there. And so I started, uh, got offered some, you know, with my education and communications. I uh, got offered some high paying jobs, but I turned those down and I uh, started writing for free for the theater. So I wrote uh, first, first play that I, I did. I, I took part in the writing of that. And we uh, performed it out at Old Tucson Studios. And the rest is history. It was called, we called it a midnight sex tragedy. Midnight <laughs> summer sex tragedy, yeah. So. <laughs> Clint James is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast. We're talking about how he got into it and what's really involved in, in making movies and, and television shows and, and his acting career. So when you went into the Air Force, you put it all on hold. Um, but did during that time you were in almost nine years, did you think someday I'm going to come back to that and, and that's really what I want to do with my life? Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it was like just kind of like this this hidden thing that I had. It was, you know, this this want, this drive that I wanted to. And and uh, my father was, was Air Force and he served Vietnam. And, and I kind of, you know, just went ahead and was, you know, I wasn't really into going to college right after school. And so I was like, well, I'm going to join the Air Force. And then a buddy of mine joined with me. And, and uh, yeah, I just went from there and then kind of just held on to this thought of, of creating and, 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 you know, and all that. So it was just, uh, it was, I was too busy in the military, you know, traveling and all that stuff. You know, we were in search and rescue and communication. So we were all over Europe and Africa. And, and uh, so it was, you know, it was, constant so always had a backpack and ready to go and i tell you what nothing has really changed in my life i still have a backpack and i'm ready to go so it's you know just waiting on that call and or you know creating your own opportunities and i think basically that's that's my story is i've i've um you know i went into the business not knowing a single soul and uh yeah it was really interesting as as i was you know getting my first agent and second agent, third, fourth, fifth, you know, and, and finally making my way from Tucson and Los Angeles going back and forth and, and then making the move out to LA and, and, 
and trying to head hand out resumes, you know, I, I was so green and yeah, my resumes back then they were, you know, of course, you know, you kind of make up stuff, make up stuff on your resume. What? And, uh, no. Come oh on. yeah. Stop. Oh, it. we all do. Oh yeah. So, uh, but I mean, nobody's going to really see you. And of course, you know, it was all, you know, BS, you know, on not all of it. You know, I did a couple few short films and a feature that never saw the light of day. So, I mean, who's really going to look at that unless it's substantial? So, yeah. So, you know, went to school at Southwest Missouri State. No, I didn't. <laughs> we actually a buddy of mine. Yeah, he sent me an old resume, and I was laughing about it. I was like, wow. And uh, it was really interesting, too, because um, I uh, signed with a major agency, um, I think it was last year, and they're by coastal from Los Angeles and New York. So I was uh, had the premiere. You know, we, we were out there in, for my nine, and uh, I had to meet my New York agents. And I'd went to uh, – um, when I met them, I, I, uh, I went to um, – their office and I walked up the stairs and I was like, wait a minute, this looks familiar. And then I, I walked in and they're, they're like, Oh, Mr. James, uh, we're expecting you. And I was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. That doesn't really happen. And, and uh, so they're like, um, so-and-so will escort you to the elevator. You're on the 31st floor. And I was like, cool. So I go up, go to the 31st floor and all this looks familiar to me. And I'm like, oh, what is this? What's going on here? So the, you know, the elevator doors open. I walk in. I was like, whoa, I've been here before. So, um, I go to the reception there and they're, they're standing up and they're like, Oh, Mr. James, we've been expecting you. I said, Oh, it's, everything's cool. And they said, well, how would you like your water? Would you like it? <clears throat> um, what they say room temperature or chilled <laughs> and i was like oh i was like well whatever you got i just you know just want this whatever you got, whatever water you got you know you know me Bert, right mm -hmm. so yeah so they said okay so um just have a seat there and and my little bottle of water i'm sitting there and i'm looking to the right and there's this huge glass area and i'm trying to think oh, man i've been in this place before and there's a uh a board meeting. So I see some people kind of looking through the thing, you know, through the glass and I'm sitting on the sofa and, and, uh, I'm not, I haven't met my LA or my LA agents yet at this point. And, uh, and so anyways, the board meeting lets up and, uh, and who comes out is Ralph Macchio, right? So he comes out and, uh, whatever they're talking about, you know, I like to assume they were talking about the Cobra Kai, you know, YouTube <laughs> that they're doing, right? And I was like, oh, hopefully the third season. And yeah, so he comes out and I was like, wow, this is so surreal. And then it dawned on me, 18 years before this, I snuck into the same building, got into the elevator, went up to this floor and handed my resume. And this uh, gentleman there said, uh, um, before he even said anything, he goes, um, well, he goes, how can I, he goes, can I help you? He goes, how'd you get up here? I said, well, oh, I just took the elevator. So my name's Clint James. Here's my resume. So is that resume I'm talking about, right? That's all kind of made up. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, so I handed that to him. He goes, okay, uh, thanks. And I was all right, see you later. You know, <laughs> I, I was so, so green, but it was so weird how 18 years later I'm in the same building and, you know, being called Mr. James. So it was a trip. Yeah, it all came full circle for you. Um, and and I, yeah. know, I know how tough it is for uh, folks in your business. Uh, and, you know, certainly you've struggled along the way. Um, I, I wonder, though, if, if you have a clear recollection of 
the first time that you felt like, all right, I've achieved something here, whether it was a first paycheck, the first time you saw yourself on TV, the first time you saw yourself in a movie, is is there something that sort of crystallizes it for you that, you know what, I could actually do this for a living and not starve to death? Well, I'm still starving, Bert. (laughs) 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 Right? Um, But, yeah, yeah, I got a really interesting story, too. It was... uh, um, of course, it was all like indie stuff, you know, indie films, and uh, you know, it, it was really like a veil. So it's like my myself over the years is like me or the other guy. And it was always the other guy, right? It always went to the other guy. So I was like, ah, oh, there's always these close calls for some major stuff. And I had already been through every door in Los Angeles, you know, and um, with uh, my manager was is awesome, Ray Wilson uh, with Midwest Talent. And uh, she got me in everything. It was, you know, and, um, you know, I, I struggled and I tried and, and I, you know, sometimes you're nervous, you know, you're fighting, battling traffic and you got to get to, you know, you're, you're working a day job. I was driving at that time. I was, you know, driving for, uh, um, for the W Hollywood. We helped open up that hotel. And uh, so, yeah, I was doing that and, and so, yeah, I got into it and, and, but you know, there was nothing that really, nothing to hit. So, um, I ended up doing a, a film, um, that got casted for out in Los Angeles, um, Michael Bartlett's film Treehouse. So I just had a small one day part, but, uh, it was a military father that I played, um, uh, with, um, um, Michael Trotman. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, uh, I did that and, but it was weird because we shot it out in Atlanta. So I flew out to Atlanta. So that was my first taste of, you know, going to Atlanta and then coming back to Los Angeles and, um, and to back, go backwards. I had already signed with an agent out in Texas and tried to do this stuff and, you know, to fly out and whatever. And I started getting like callbacks, but I, you know, it's a struggling actor and you're, you know, you got all these responsibilities with family and everything. You're, you can't afford to fly back and forth. I mean, there's no possible way. And I have lots of friends that are in debt to this day because of flights, you know, right, and right. You, you know, you'll fly yourself out and you have a two minute call back and you fly yourself back. Um, but saying all that, um, Treehouse was a, a good taste of it. And then, um, and then I ended up, um, um, to fast forward to the, um, the first, um, show that I did to have a taste of it was a show called Salem, which I did uh, two seasons on. And that was my first taste of it that uh, I was actually like, oh, well, this is, this is cool. I'm finally uh, getting, a, getting some, some screen time. And so they slowly started building my character. So I'd have to keep a beard and a long hair and I put on some weight, you know, because it takes place, you know, and, and uh, the Salem period, I think it was like, 1500s or something like that. I, don't quote me on that. 1600s or something. Maybe 1400s. Somewhere huh. around there. Some day yeah, day. somewhere around there. Some yeah, the witch days, right? Say it's the witch trials, you know. And um, so, yeah, so I did that. But the, the crazy thing was, was um, it was so my first time on television is Salem. And my first um, actual um, experience was I had to... Um, had to be naked right <laughs> yeah so um so so they give you this this i don't know can i say sock 
you put a sock on. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, trust me on this. All right. So, <laughs> you have to be. Uh, so, what 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 happened is that I actually get castrated in the show. This is my first episode, first everything for television. Wow. I get castrated. I play the blacksmith, and I get castrated in the show, and I'm replaced with a bird. Okay. So there's a raven or a crow, whatever you want to call it, um, replaces me. So um, this uh, character, played by uh, Elise Eberly, castrates me. She plays a character, Mercy Lewis, and and then there all of a, you know there's a bird. And I look down, and all of a sudden I'm possessed. I'm one of her people, right? So, um, so I, I was. I, um, they give you a sock or whatever to put on, and it's really embarrassing because you know at the time I think it was 39 something like that i mean this is how long it took me you know because i was 27 when i started so we're talking like i guess maybe 38 39 so 12 uh, 12 13 years and you finally get your break and you're standing naked yeah. on a tv set with a sock on your junk that's so so yeah so the uh cg guys come up um the uh, the special effects guys come up, the computer graphics guys, they come up and they said, Clint, um, how comfortable are you? And I said, Oh, I'm good. You know, and of course I've got my clothes on, you know, and, but I have this sock on and I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. And they're like, okay, um, can we, can we go and see? So you know, we are in private and I pulled and they're like, yeah, uh, we're going to have to remove, can you remove the sock? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> and I was like, and of course, this is my first time, my first gig, my first major gig. I was like, yes, right? Wow. So I'm assuming it's going to be a close set, right? Well, there's Mercy Lewis has all these other uh, um, people, these women that are surrounding. So I'm against this tree, and um, yeah, so they're all around me. And then I have to go ahead and... Um, you know, all that's down. So I'm butt naked and the camera's right up there in front of me, like a foot away and, or two feet or so. And, um, and everybody's behind the monitor. I was like, Oh, oh man. So it was, yeah. So it was really intense. And then, so we finished shooting that, you know, and I go and shoot another scene. And then I hear on the radio, like, okay, uh, we're going to need Clint back. We got to reshoot this scene. I was like, no. And then it started raining, getting colder. I was like, ah, oh, no, no way. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? As a man, you know, you're like, oh, and, um, yeah. Cause I, you know, I had like, you know, 12 other women or it was all women, you know, in the scene. So, uh, I don't know, man. It yeah. was, yeah, it was a bit stressful, intense, but I'm very, um, yeah, you know, thankful because uh that that was really the the start of it that right uh, there that's that's the glamour of showbiz they don't tell you about when you read the manual. <laughs> wow. yeah clint james yeah. our guest today character actor and one of the stars of mind nine and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that you may have seen and a whole bunch more that you never have seen and uh, he's our guest on the big time talker podcast you talked uh, briefly about how you had a, a job as a driver um while you were trying to break in and 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 how much you it's sort of an itinerant job you move from place to place i wonder if you could tell me about some of the interesting jobs that you have held while you pursue your acting career things that you've done oh, just I to tell you what. keep the food on the table man dude um i have i i tell you what the hardest job i have ever done was um tearing up and tarring roofs 
in Tucson, Arizona in July. Oh. And this is right after. So I turned down a high-paying job. And I started doing theater. And um, a buddy of mine um, got me a job with his friends. And um, so they were awesome. They were really, really good to me. And God gave me a job. And I think I was doing like, it was like $6 an hour or something like that. You know, it was barely anything. But I was thankful. So I'm out there and I'm tarring roofs in July. And it was, I mean, your, your shoes would melt on these roofs. It was so, so hot. And, uh, that was, that was pretty intense, but I've done everything from bartending to serving tables to, to driving, to bouncing to, I mean, yeah. Um, concrete. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just building tables. Um, anything that, Oh, I even like was, um, catching and releasing pigeons in Arizona for a while. Um, How do you get yeah. paid for that? How does that work? Well, I work for a company, and that's what our main thing was, is get the pigeons from the areas or wherever, whatever, you know, building or whatever, and then you take them and then you release, you know, catch and release in a different area. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was who interesting. And, who knew? Uh, who who was knew? Who was the job yeah. in that? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I did pools. I built pools. Um, golly, um, but yeah, I drove. I, the most convenient job was was a driving job in um, in uh, in Los Angeles because of you know the the opportunity to be able to hit those auditions, and that was the main thing. I never miss an audition, so um, so I was able to you know go and and do that, and that's that's the thing too. I mean, there's there's no way to to pursue a full-time job, you know, a nine to five job and do what I do. I, I don't see how you could, there's just, you know, you can't just ask your boss or tell your boss, Hey, I got two auditions today. It just doesn't happen, but you can always, with these other jobs, you find somebody to cover you or whatever. And of course you take a hit, you know, money wise. And, but you find that, you know, you, you just go ahead and you're in this momentum and you know what your goals are. And this is that, that perseverance that you just kind of just push through and, uh, you watch everybody else, you know, in their homes and their fences and you see all that and yeah. And you just don't have that. Um, and some people are, are fortunate, you know, that have people that they know, you know, in the business or whatever, and they are, you know, kind of established or, um, but like I said, I walked in having zero. So I just kind of and for it and, and trained in Los Angeles, trained in Tucson, you know, in the theater and, and got my chops up and then, and, uh, but I think really what helped me out a lot was just experiencing life and the stuff that I've been through and, and all that, you know, um, traveling the world, you know, with the military and, and just seeing how, you know, human beings are and how they react with each other. And, and so that, that was like a, a blessing to me. So my training really is, is life, but, um, but I'm huge on scene study and, and characterization. So uh, yeah, I definitely um, recommend any of that to anybody to, to constantly and continue to study and read and, and all that. Let me ask you about the uh, sort of how the sausage is made and pull the curtain back a little bit. So now with the advent of the internet, uh, it's my understanding that, that actors and actresses do lots of auditioning online. And I wonder how that works. Yeah, well, that's that's been a thing, Bert, for for a while. Um, but um, I'm hoping, 
um, and not just because of COVID, but um, I'm hoping that it kind of goes towards that. Um, I'm a big fan of going to the room live to um, do my auditions. I'm a huge fan of that because I can be redirected, you know, if I'm a little off or whatever, you know, and it's like, okay, well, let's try it this way or whatever. When you're taping, you don't really get that opportunity unless you have really specific directions, in which normally you don't. You just get your sides and you shoot. What I do, I have um, I have my camera equipment that I take anywhere I go. So if I'm shooting a, a movie or shooting a show, I have my camera equipment with me because um, I, I get auditions. So I got while I'm shooting a show or whatever, um, I go back to the hotel, I set up everything, and then I shoot my audition for whatever it is, and then you know, and then work on my you know whatever I'm doing after that. Um, but I'm hoping that it, you know, a lot of it goes to that because of the cost of money and the flights, um, to, you know, for actors to get where they need to go. Um, I mean, I, I could be in, in New York and I have to, I have a call back in Los Angeles. Well, they're not going to fly me, you know, unless it's really specific, you know, unless it's like a chemistry read or the interest is already right there. I'm still battling this stuff. And like I said before, you know, the cost of flying yourself back and forth, um, it's just, it, you can go in debt real quick. And so you really got to be where you need to be. So like, you know, I, you know, I live in Queens, New York and, and hitting that market and, um, you know, and also Los Angeles and, you know, the, the back and forth stuff, but I'm basically, you know, based in, in New York. Um, but say, like right now, I'm in Republic, Missouri. Well, I just had an audition for a show, um, and I set up and um, had you know lighting and did all that stuff, and you just kind of figure it out. But um, yeah, I, I just I just like to be redirected. So I I don't know how how this is going to play out, but it could be it could be you know an eye opener for a lot of a lot of people. But um, I mean, I know the casting directors and producers and directors would you know, love to meet you, um, personally, you know, and, and I like to meet them too. You know, everybody clicks and, and you get to get a feel for them in the room. And I get, you know, it's, I, I guess it's kind of different, you know, when you're now, now it's zoom, you know, or Skype or whatever, or FaceTime. Um, you really don't get a sense of feel of a human being unless you're like, you interact personally with them, you know, physically. And so, but if it, if it goes to that, then, then I'm game, you know, I'm down with it. Um, maybe they'll give more direction in, in, the, in the casting um, department, you know, maybe they'll give more insight of, of what they want if, if we can't go into the rooms, you know, and be honest with you, I don't know when that's going to be. So, Well, it's a whole new world out there, and, and with the advent of the technology, maybe it will give folks in different parts of the country an opportunity they wouldn't have had. Um, Clint James, our guest today on Big Time Talker, he's a working actor who you've seen in, in film and television uh, many times and may not know the name, and some, some of you may, uh, from movies like Mine 9, TV shows like Chicago Med and uh, The Walking Dead. I, I know that you audition a lot, and most actors do audition a lot, uh, and you don't get most of what you audition for. And I, I wonder for you how you have figured out how to handle that rejection just constantly over and over being told, no, you're not right for this, or you don't look the part or, or for a million different reasons, you don't get it. How do you handle that, that constant drip of no? Well, Burke, I've been rejected my whole life. So I'm used to it. 
<laughs> Come on now. No, We're not talking about your dating yeah. life here. Come on now. <laughs> right. Um, no, it's, uh, yeah, the, the, you can't really look at it as rejection. Um, anything, you know, anything's possible. You know, like, you know, a, a normal soul, I can't really, I mean, that's too specific, but a lot of times people have, you know, one job interview, you know, for 20 years or two or three, you know, we have these interviews four or five a week, right. you know, right. Um, on a, on a good, on a good week, you know, and that's really great. Um, sometimes we go, you know, once a month, you know, and that's really bad, but it doesn't mean that you're not liked. It doesn't mean that you're not accepted. It doesn't mean that you're, you're a failure or whatever. And, um, I like to say that a a uh, a good actor knows whether he's bad or not, you know. And when you go into the room, per se, like you go and and you do your audition and you walk into that room for the first time, it could be no right away, regardless of your resume or what it says, only because um, whoever is sitting down um, may just you know, that's not the visual. That's not, you know, I could walk in with a beard and I'm supposed to be looking like an FBI agent, but I'm only holding on to the beard because I'm doing another show. You know what I mean? So I can't shave it, but I, I'm still auditioning for this. And you just say, oh, just so you know, I'm willing to shave. I'm shooting a show, this and that. Oh, okay. But it's hard sometimes to look through this mess. You know, I'm carrying this mess right now, actually, for for a project um, that we were going to do. But um but yeah, so it's it's not rejection to me. It's just you you go and you do your job, and if you're confident in your work, and trust me, I go in and and I'll leave, and I'm like, oh, that was a little off, or I should have been more prepared for that, or a little last minute. And but you know, um, when you got eight pages of dialogue and you have less than a day to work on it, and you got to be off book, and off book means nothing. You know what I mean? You go in and and you knock it out. So. Um, like you're ready to shoot the show, you know what I mean? So um, you just have to be confident in it. And, and you know, with other actors, uh, don't take it as rejection. Just just do your do your work, do your homework, and uh, understand the size, understand the scene, and be prepared. And that's the most important thing. And uh, look at it as, as an opportunity, you know. Look at it as something that, that you are so fortunate to even just be in that room let alone, I mean, there's so many people dying to be in that position. And when you start recognizing people from other shows that you're auditioning with, feeling is this, it's, it's huge as an actor. You're like, okay, now I see all these familiar faces. This is awesome. And I'm so fortunate to be in that position. I'm so fortunate to be having my management and, and my agents. Um, I'm with Buckwald and uh, um, they're just, you know, Joanne Nietzsche is my, my agent that for Los Angeles, I mean, sorry for New York. And, uh, and they're wonderful. The whole, whole team is just awesome. And so I just, you know, I'm so fortunate to be in that position. And I think other actors should be just fortunate just to be in that room to, to create, you know, it's, it's a therapy session for us. <laughs> so, you know, take it as that, take it as something very positive. What's the biggest misconception you think that, that people have about uh, folks who are in film and television? Um, misconception, um, probably how much money we have. We all don't drive Ferraris. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think that a lot, a lot of that, is that, is that what you mean? Kind of, 
something like that. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah. No, no, and that makes sense to me because you go from sort of a a temporary job to another temporary job, and there may be six months in between those temporary jobs. So I I can see that as a misconception, sure. Right, right. And, um, yeah, exactly. So um, we're – you know, I look at myself – as you know, I, I know where my goals are and where I want to be and, and how I want to be, you know, established as an actor. And, and, you know, you just really want to continue to work, you know, you just want to continue. And, you know, as you know, I, I play the bad guy a lot, you know, am I a bad guy? No, but if that's my career, I'm going to go for it. You know what I mean? Just go ahead. I'm, I'm just so thankful to be continually to work, but you know, the misconception would be, well, it stops. And everybody else, you know, whatever they're they're doing, whether it's, you know, the office office work or whatever, doctors and lawyers and such, they um, they uh, they have this ongoing paycheck um, most of the time. And so we as actors, we're we're off. So you really got to balance your checkbook. You got <clears throat> it's a uh, yeah, it could be tough. So, and you know, then you got to, you know, if money runs low, you got to, you know, start picking up some work, but, um, here and there, whatever it is, you know, um, and then, uh, and then you, you know, you start a new gig and then you drop that job and you go to the next job, you know, and then you gotta, you know, that one runs out and you gotta go find another side job. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's just something that's not for everybody. It really isn't. Um, but I tell you, it's, it's hats off to, to, to actors and actresses that, that do it because it's not, it's not, uh, it's not handed, you know, to a lot of people. And, uh, like I said, I mean, it's been 18 years in it and I'm still, you know, beating down the doors. So, um, has it been easy? Absolutely not. Has there been sacrifice? Yes. Um, my whole career has been sacrificed. When, uh, when I was flipping through Amazon prime a couple of months ago, I came across a Western that, that you were in called Eminence Hill and, and, you seem to get cast a, a lot in in westerns, and I wonder if if that's a fun thing. I would think, as you know, every kid grows up sort of playing cowboys and Indians, and you know, dreaming of riding the horse. That must be a fun thing for you. You're in the Magnificent Seven as well. Is it fun to do westerns? I mean, are you a big kid all over again? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I love horses. I love you know, and I love being around. I'm not a huge gun guy at all um but it's it's fun you know you get these you know the half loads and and you know the, the well i mean in the in the blanks you know that you have with the, with the guns whether it's a 44 45 or whatever colt um yeah see i'm really not completely familiar with even the guns but um but yeah you got you know your quarter loads half loads and full loads you know depending on you know the positioning of the actors and shooting those things and and uh, they're real guns, you know. Um, there's nothing, nothing that's um, you can't be sloppy about. It. You have to be very, very cautious, you know, because there are accidents that happen. And uh, but boy, I tell you, man, when you jump on those horses, uh, um, it's just I, I, I just love being around it. But I don't know why. Maybe it's because of my name. I don't know. Um, um, to do the westerns, or I had that that rugged look, and and that's another thing, Burke. You know, I've been for years trying to do comedy. You know. Cause I don't know. I feel like I'm funny, <laughs> you know, but, but I, I walk in a room and I, and I, and yeah, just a little, um, maybe I look a little too scary or something like that, but, um, but yeah, so, um, I was able to do one comedy it was a trailer park shark. Uh, my buddy Griff first, he uh, directed it. Um, 
and uh, we had a good time doing that. But I was also, I played this character Rufus in it, and I was also, you know, I was cowboy in it. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just one of those things that happens. And I think, you know, I've done, you know, several short Westerns and then did, uh, so maybe it was like, I think Magnificent Seven or Emmett's Hill, like six or seven Westerns, you know, thus far. But, but, you know, of course the main one, um, big one was Magnificent Seven, but, you know, I played, they cut, they cut a lot of scenes too, but yeah, we, uh, played one of the town's folks. I played Fenton in that one. And, um, but Eminence Hill directed by Robert Conway, that was, that was a fun time, you know, and, and I'm fortunate to be a friend of his and, and he has me on his projects and they're lower budget, of course, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, someday soon that he'll get a, a lot of money to be able to make a, make a really awesome A movie, you know, um, it just is what it is. You know, you, you only have like so much that you can work with and, and you do the best that you can. And, and I got to be really good uh, friends with Barry Corbin, you know, on, on that show. And, um, Lance Henderson was uh, in that too as well, and Owen Conway. You know, it was just really, yeah, and that's Robert's brother. He played the uh, the leading good bad guy, and I was just the bad guy, of course, you know. But um, yeah, I just had this this thing, you know, that I, I enjoy Westerns, man. I enjoy them. You know, you mentioned some of your co-stars, your famous character actors. What you didn't mention in that movie, and I was shocked to see as I was halfway through my uh, Domino's Pizza that night watching the movie, is that there's a love scene between you and your female co-star, who, by the way, played Lolita in a, a big movie back in the 90s. And, and there you are, butt naked, rolling around in the cactus in the desert. And okay. I always hear these stories about how uncomfortable and how horrible it is to do love scenes in movies. And, and to an average guy, you think... How bad can it be? You're rolling around with a beautiful woman, uh, and uh, you know you're up close and as personal as it can be. So, what's it really like to do an intimate love scene in a movie? Well, um, yeah. Well, I mean, you, get, you have to be professional about it, you know, and, and say, you know, how comfortable are you, or what, you know, everything has to be all set in stone. And and Dominique was, you know, she's an amazing person, and. Uh, yeah, so it was like, you know, everything was comfortable and, and So hold know, on a second. So yeah, you actually you have a conversation with her ahead of time saying uh, it's like oh, blocking yeah. and tackling. So what does yeah, that com- like, what does that conversation yeah, you know, look like? Well, it's just, you know, just make sure what 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 are you comfortable with and this and that. And you know, if it's a you know, um a love scene that's that's similar to that, it was, you know, I I thought it turned out really beautiful actually. Um but um it was um supposed to be more vigorous. And I was like, ah, and the thing is too, Burke, I have 11 year old daughter, um, Jesse Ray and, you know, and I'll just certain things that I will not do. And so, you know, I, um, I, I don't want her to see anything like, like that. And I mean, it's bad enough that I had my, you know, my first debut on television, but, you know, I think eventually she'll hear the story, you know, when she listens to this. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it's just, just, you want to make sure it's comfortable in the scene, you know what I mean? And, and who's not comfortable that, you know, um, if it's in the contract, it's in the contract. And, you know, if you're, you know, but you just want to make sure everybody's cool and, you know, where, 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 what's the limitations and, you know, this and that. And of course we are, you know, clothed underneath, um, you know, under the blankets and stuff like that. And, um, we're not naked Burke. So, so I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, this, uh, notion that you have to have a conversation. So it's really, you talk to the actress and, 
and and you say, hey, you know, can I touch you there? Can we kiss in this way? You know, is it kind of like blocking out a scene, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just you just don't you know you want to be you want to have that chemistry and uh, you want to you want to sell it for the camera. You know, you can't be uncomfortable in something like that. So you just kind of shut your brain off and and you have the respect for the other actor and you just kind of, you know, just go and, and do what you do. So, you know, um, I felt that we had a really uh, great moment there and, and very professional. And, um, yeah, and how many people really are cool. standing around watching this happen? That was a close set. So we just had a, yeah, we had a sound person and um, Robert was there and the director. Yeah. So, so there are three people yeah. watching you sort of roll around on the ground. Are, are, is it kind of dusty and uncomfortable and all that? Oh, rocks are in your back. Yeah, of course. That's the, <laughs> man, we, we, we shot we shot that out in uh, that was out in the uh, out in Arizona in the Phoenix area. So yeah, we were yeah. Um, and we had the campfire there, and and uh, no, it's just like you're out in the West, man. You're out there in the West. I mean, how, how else did they do it? You know, I, I don't know, but. I mean, it, Hopefully we sold sold the scene and, and uh, I think we did and uh, and but yeah definitely Dominic's very professional and and you know I was too and yeah so it was cool you know it was it's interesting too because you know you you have um, certain scenes like that but I mean there's stuff that I that I will not I will not do like I said you know um, you know if it's if it's too intense if it's um, you know, especially anything that has to do with you know pedophilia or anything. I, I just I don't I don't I don't want to do any of those characters. And it's it's respect for my my daughter, you know, and and for my you know I just there's always somebody to play a part. You know what I mean? Um, I look at it as I'm very replaceable. You know what I mean? That's just the way it is. You know, if I don't get the part, somebody else is going to get it. You know what I mean? So we are replaceable. But you know, if you can look at some some movie and you say, oh well. There's no way that, you know, anybody else could play that part. Um, yeah, somebody else would have played that part. <laughs> you know, it's not that the movie's not going to be made, but so-and-so killed it in their job. And that's the thing. You just have to hold hold tight and hold professional in, in everything that you do, whether it's a sex scene or whether it's, you know, simple drinking coffee at a, at a diner, you know, whatever you're doing, just, just be professional about it. How different is it doing an independent movie than doing something that has a – a much bigger budget. You know, we mentioned you were in Magnificent Seven with Denzel Washington, and you've done the the Walking Dead show. You did, you know, the Chicago Med pretty recently. Um, how how different? What does that look like as an actor uh, to be on, uh, you know, an independent film set as opposed to one of these big budget things? What's what's really different? Money. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know this, Burke. <laughs> Besides the money, when, when you're out there on the set, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming craft services is a little bit better, uh, but but is there a whole different way that that an independent film is is shot than than a, a big budget picture? Well, I tell you what, there's just you know, in a, in a bigger budget film, um, there's more people, there's more hands on deck, there's more everything, you know, with from the catering to the food to. Um, that, that you're, you know, that you get and, and the time wise and the constraints and, you know, you're, you really just show up only doing one job is what I do. And I say, okay, I'm prepared as an actor. This is all I need to do. And I need to go and do my scene with whoever. And then I'm out. That's all my, my only job on a, on a bigger budget 
show or movie or whatever it is. Now, let's go back to independent. It's kind of different in a, in a big way because you don't know everything that's you're walking into this and you know how much money, say they had $200,000 to make a movie. So you're walking in and you're like, ah, oh, okay. So, and when it takes about 45 minutes for the sound guy to, you know, mic you up, you're like, you kind of start worrying, you know, a little bit. You're like, okay, all right. And then when they tell you, well, we don't have money for ADR, which is that, you know, additional dialogue replacement. You know, when we have to go in the studios to go do the dialogue because the sound person didn't capture the, the sound quality or whatever. A lot of times on indie films, you got to get that sound, right? Because there's no money for ADR. There's no money to do anything. The only money that you have a lot of times is hamburgers. I mean, I've been on sets where you just ate hamburgers for three weeks. You know what I mean? So it's like, but you're fortunate because you're creating, you're working with friends, you're getting to know new people and you like the script. Does it turn out well all the time? No, but neither does bigger shows. You know what I mean? You, you, you always want that longevity of anything. Um, but it's all, that's all, you know, could be said and done and in the blink of an eye. So you just kind of, you know, the, I mean, for certain films, I've, I've been on there to where it's just, you just actually have the camera up and, and uh, who is the director of photography, who is the gaffer, who is, you know, is doing all the, the stuff, you know, for his crew. And then you got your director and he might be the director too, you know, and uh, then the sound guy's late, you know, you go ahead and just kind of, I don't know, it, 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 it could you know, actually be a mess. Um, but regardless, you're still thankful. You're like, well, I'm working, you know? And, um, when you do one of these bigger projects, is there, um, is there a pecking order? Um, you know, you're, you're doing a movie with Denzel Washington, for example, who's arguably one of the biggest stars in movies in the last 20 years. And, and, you know, you're not Denzel Washington. So is there, is there a line of demarcation between you and these other, bigger names that are on the set or you and, and the director when you do these big, big budget things? Uh, not really like Antoine Fuqua that directed Magnus seven. He was so cool. I mean, he was, you know, Denzel is kind of like the principal, you know what I mean? When he's on set, you know what I mean? It's just the respect value and everything else. And of course, you know, for all the actors, now I'm talking to the extras and stuff like that. I get to know everybody. That's just kind of human being I am. I can't help it. But, you know, and just the respect value of, of everybody that, that shows up on time and are there to shoot a movie. And um, but when, when it comes down to, you know, getting to know the director, that's what you mean, right? And to have this kind of this, this, this gap. Is there a gap between them? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Is there, is yeah. there are you treated differently than they are? Do they treat you differently? Yeah. Um, no, not really. Um, on the bigger shows, it's like whenever it's your scene, that's your scene. You know what I mean? And you own it and you go in and you, you knock it out. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, we were on Magnificent Seven. We were, you know, when you're hanging out with Chris Pratt and Ethan Hawke and Vincent D'Onofrio, you know, on a daily basis, you know, you're like, oh, and you're hearing all these stories. I mean, it's really amazing for an actor to be able to hang out with these guys. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, Denzel, you know, was doing his own, you know, whatever he's doing and stuff like that. He was not in holding with us. 
um, which, you know, was unfortunate, but, um, but it was, it was fun doing, doing scenes and watching him work and, and watching the other guys work. And it's, uh, the thing is, it's like, you know, you're on that level, you know, it's just the opportunity to get to that level. And so I look at like myself, I'm like, okay, well I'm right there. You know, I'm right here in, in this area of these, you know, awesome actors and actresses. And, and, uh, so I just look at it as a, as a, it was a great time. And, and with the director, like Antoine, I mean, he, we were shooting this church scene and, and, uh, boy, he told everybody to quiet down because he's working with his actors. And I love that so much because we were his actors, you know what I mean? We were the townsfolk and we had this scene in the church and, and it was just really, really, um, intense, you know, and it's like watching him do it. And, and he paid so much respect to us as, you know, supporting actors, that, I mean, this is his movie, you know, he's like, I want the best possible thing. And, and he was very personal and, and I really enjoyed working with him and on independent wise too, you know, there's, you know, Eddie Menzer, you know, and, and Robert Conway. I mean, those, those guys are fun to work with, but you get to be really close to him too. So that's the other thing too, you know, sometimes, you know, on a, you know, bigger budget film, you're not able to make that connect or, you know, or there's like a slight connect or whatever, or maybe you stay in touch, but independent wise, you have the more of a family closeness, you know, um, with everybody because, you know, the smaller budget, the sm you know, smaller everything. And, and maybe that's the reason I don't know, but, um, but I did actually make some lifelong friends on Magnuson seven, um, uh, some beautiful, beautiful people, um, like Richie Montgomery and, Dane Rose and Griff Furs and Sean Bridgers. All these guys were just awesome. Um, yeah, they were, they were just amazing people to, to be able to, you know, hold tight and hold friends. But, but again, I mean, you know, when you're working with people like Eddie Menzer, I mean, you know, it's like you can't shake them. And you don't want to shake them because you don't want to do his next project because, you know, you had a blast. I, I had so much fun making Mine 9, you know, and, and just meeting everybody and, being around, you know, and watching Terry do his work and watching the other guys and uh, Kevin and Mark, you know, and it was just really, really cool being around those human beings too because you just, you know, you become close to these guys, you know, and you know, a lot of respect value. You Mind Nine, and that's that's where you and I met working together uh, on the publicity and the marketing for that movie. And, it, you know, here's a, an independent movie that was not made with a big budget, but, boy, it was all up there on the screen. And you look at it, and it looks like a $20 million movie. Uh, it, it, you know, has a su very successful theatrical release. And then it comes out on Netflix right as the country is sheltering in place and feeling very claustrophobic. And because of that, it becomes one of the most watched movies on, on Netflix. When you do a little movie like Mine 9 that becomes a big thing later on, do you have any sense while you're filming it that it's going to turn out as good as it did? Uh, I tell you, I, yeah, we, we, I went through another interview with this. Um, yeah, it was, um, when I showed up and I saw that set, actually I saw the set when I, when I got hired for the job, um, I was on, uh, on Skype with, uh, Eddie and he hired me over Skype and then, um, uh, Jordan Brown, um, she, uh, um, the casting director, she walked me through. And so visually I was looking at the set and we're going through the mine. Now this is a set, right? Right. The studio at the warehouse they're shooting it. 
and I was watching, I was like, oh, and I really, I was so thankful. I was all, you know, I was having some tears going on because I just really wanted this part because I just loved the script and I loved everything about it. And I loved the working class, you know, because, you know, obviously I'm working class. So um, I love that. Um, um, I love that aspect of it. So I saw it visually, you know, I was like, oh, man, I'm so excited. And so when it came to, to me to go to set, to see everything, to see everything that was, you know, from the wardrobe to what we're putting on and to, you know, just the really um, detailed things, you know, like my character, you know, in the original script was a, you know, played guitar, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the church and, you know, and, and so I had a little guitar on my helmet, you know, and so all that really meant a lot, you know, to the audience that, you know, they don't know that stuff. But when I look at details and you get into that character, you know, you're like, this is who I am. It's never going to be seen maybe not, you know, on screen or, or they don't know the backstory or whatever. But, but when you look at stuff like that and you, and you get that feel for that amazing set, you know, that Eddie and Tim Barrett, and their whole crew, uh, Sean and all those guys, you know, did, um, man, I tell you, it, it really, it hit me hard. I was like, man, okay, we're down in it. And it was true to life. It was really amazing. It was, absolutely. You may want to check out that movie if you're listening and you haven't seen it yet. Uh, Mine 9 is on Netflix now and all the other video-on-demand services, and you can check out Mine9Movie.com and look for Clint James in the uh, on the movie poster from Mine 9. I could talk to you about this stuff forever. You're one of the good guys out there. I appreciate you carving out some time today. What What is next for you? What are you working on right now? Well, uh, well Eddie's got a little something going on. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't even know if I'm hired yet, Burke, to be honest with you, <laughs> but, um, I had read, uh, I read the script and I, I, you know, he definitely has some changes, whatever he's doing going on, but you know, I'm just, uh, I started, you know, I started growing out and started getting trim, more trim and, and stuff like that for this, this character that there's part that I don't even know if I have or whatever, but I'm just, you know, staying and maintaining. So honestly, man, I have zero going on and, so and, and, and uh, you're being very truthful about that but it's my understanding that from the people i work with in the entertainment business just like all our musicians are off the road they can't tour right now uh, it's the same way with with actors most everything has been shut down and there is no filming going on pretty much anywhere in america is that right yeah and the only thing i could think of is voiceover actors are probably killing it Right, you know, and right. I think a lot of people are probably going to. They can. They have their own studios. They have their own stuff set up at their homes. You know, to they could do it at their own places. So, um, is there any yeah, guidance but, on when you guys are going to get back to work? Um, I spoke to my my people. When I say that, my my representatives, and um, maybe like start picking up a little bit in August. Uh, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. You know, and again. I, you know, I, I fight for my job. So uh, audition wise and, and of course there's, you know, offers and stuff like that, um, which I'm very thankful and fortunate for. But, um, but I'm hoping that, you know, the opportunities, like I just had a, um, an audition, you know, a few days ago and threw that down. But, you know, when it says when it's going to shoot to be t- uh, determined, you know, so you, <clears throat> there's no, you know, there's no definite, um, maybe, they know more than I do, and it, you know I, I really don't know, but I'm hoping it starts picking up um, in August and get those opportunities going. And again, you know, I'm in the Ozarks right now and visiting, you know, friends and family and staying 
cool and chill down here and going to the lake and doing fishing, you know, with my brother and, you know, stuff that I haven't done in over eight years, you know, because of the grind and continue and continue, you know. Um, so I've been, you know, with the COVID thing going on, of course, you know, I had to get out of Queens and, um, you know, I made sure everything was safe and I stayed quarantined down here. And then I was just, uh, just enjoying life right now at the moment, man. And, and just, you know, enjoying the peace and quiet, you know, cause, uh, like I said, you know, before on a, on a, another cat podcast was, uh, it's like you're walking in trash one day and walking in grass the next, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's, it was just been an amazing time for me to be able to reconnect with, with people that, uh, that are, that I've known for so many years. And I just feel very blessed uh, that, um, that I'm, you know, have this opportunity to, to do that. Um, but I also feel for all, you know, my friends that are going through this pandemic in, in Queens, New York and New York alone, um, you know, this it's no joke, you know, you know, so it's uh, something to take very serious, you know, when you're out and about and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I feel for them too, that people that can't get out of the city that don't have the opportunity that I do have, you know. No doubt. No doubt. Enjoy the downtime. Enjoy the time with your family. And thank you for carving out some uh, time to chat with us today. Oh, you know I love you, Burke. Right back at you, my brother. That's Clint James on the Big Time Talker podcast brought to you by Speaker Match. Check him out online and watch for Clint James on a TV screen or hopefully a movie screen near you sometime soon. Thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and make it a great day.